Men, if you would, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, verses 6 through 7. You'll find Isaiah before the book of Jeremiah, after Ecclesiastes, after Song of Solomon. While turning there, let me tell you that, uh, that for the year 2023, we'll be focusing on another book. We've walked through the Psalms, as we typically do through the, through the summer. We've worked through the book of Ecclesiastes for the better part of next year. We'll be working through, going back to the New Testament and going into the book of Acts. So, the book of Acts will sort of be our, our main diet for 2023. Today we're continuing our theme of Christmas, thinking about Christ during the holiday season. <coughs> Excuse me. Hope you'll forgive me, I'm still trying to recover from a, this nagging and persistent cough that I haven't been able to get rid of the past couple of weeks. I'm sure probably a, a nightmare to the sound guys up in the top. <clears throat> It's not on purpose. I really have been trying to get rid of it. It's like this nagging, annoying little brother that just keeps pestering you, just won't go away. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Familiar passage during the holiday season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray that as we go into your word Lord, that you might bless us, that you might encourage us, that you might exhort us. Be to us this morning our wonderful counselor. Be to us our mighty God. Be to us our everlasting Father. Be to us our Prince of Peace. And let us rejoice and celebrate and worship for this wonderful description of who you are to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to many statistics, about 26 million people have given their DNA information to websites that deal with ancestry and genealogies in an effort to try to find out more about who they are by tracing their lineage. Where do they come from? And I don't intend to sort of criticize that kind of information seeking, and identity is certainly important. We should place a high value on identity. And the Bible itself places a high value on identity, though I think for different reasons. But I think we can make the case, according to the Scriptures, that more important than identity is representation, and that identity is grounded in representation. That is, who represents you? And that takes us to the subject of kingship, or the office of a king, according to the Scriptures. This passage in Isaiah describes to us a wonderful king, describes to us as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, right? any people, any nation would be blessed to have that kind of king who identifies with them and represents them. Now, with considering the office of a king, sometimes it's helpful to consider an object as it relates to another object or an object that is very similar to it to see how it compares. Is it any better? Is it greater? Or is it equal or lesser? And in the scriptures, we have many upon many upon many kings, but one king that stands out amongst the rest is King David. King David, historically in the scriptures, is known as Israel's greatest king. So we're considering the subject of a king, considering this kind of son, this kind of king that's given unto us, that's described to us here in Isaiah 9. The question is, what makes this king better than someone like King David, who was himself a great king? The kind of king that every other king, historically in the scriptures, is compared to. Then that takes us to our first point, a king like no other. So first, who was King David? According to the scripture, we know a lot about him, but we also know some things that he lacked when considering the office of a king. We know that he didn't have any past prior experiences, which is something that we prize today. Right? This person, this person done this kind of job before to give us some confidence that he can do it well. There's nothing in the scripture that tells us he had any kind of leadership skills that fit him for this task of being a king chosen by God. He doesn't even have a sort of a a formal education, which we might expect today, something that equips this person to walk into these kind, to fill this kind of shoes. He didn't have any of these skills or experience. But when the prophet Samuel is sent to a man named Jesse to look at his sons and declare one of them to be God's next king, And he goes through each line, one after another, after another, and he says, no, God says, no, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't it. Then in 1 Samuel 16, 11, Samuel says to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So right then, there, you already see that Jesse doesn't even consider, like, there's no way it's going to be David, his youngest. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And that's all we get. We don't know anything else. As to why David is chosen as a king, all it tells us is his appearance. He's a handsome dude. In fact, the New Living Translation describes him as dark and handsome. Doesn't even have the word tall, so maybe he wasn't tall. Later on, when he goes to fight against Goliath, it tells him in the scriptures that Goliath disdained him because of his appearance. In other words, David was probably what we would describe as a pretty boy. And I think the reason, and my, I'm convinced that the reason why it sort of this gives us this description of his appearance is that he's not the kind of guy that you would expect to be out warring and fighting. He doesn't look like a, a battle-hardened warrior. He doesn't have this rugged look about him. But 1 Samuel 16, this is what the Lord says. 
The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, speaking of the other brothers. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God saw something in David and said, This is he. This is the one that I have chosen who will be a king to lead his people in the ways of God. There was something about this pretty boy that set him apart from all others. Something in his heart that the Lord was pleased with. What other reasons the Lord could have chosen or had decided to make this man the king, we have no idea. But I think what we know from the Scriptures is that this is a man, a young boy, who believed in God and had a zeal for the Lord. What else, we know that, what else that we know about him is that he tended his father's flock. Not only that, but he fearlessly defended his flock. In fact, it tells in the Scriptures that he actually went and went after the flocks of, of his father when lions and bears took them. And over time, David would become the king of Israel, and he would become Israel's greatest king. But what exactly made David such a great king? What was it about him? What did he do? What did he accomplish? How great was he? Well, to know how great he was, throughout a book of first, like first Kings, he's actually set up as a comparison to all others. First Kings 15, verse 1, for example, it says, Now in the 18th year, of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mecha, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Now if you read through 1 King, you'll see this time and time again, when another king comes, and another king comes, and another king comes, and oftentimes they're compared to David, it's told to us whether or not he walked in the ways of David or if he did not walk in the ways of David. So David, because he's Israel's greatest king, he becomes sort of the standard of measure by which all other kings are compared. And it's not that he was sort of like this unattainable standard, because David himself wasn't perfect. Right? If you know anything about David, David had his sins. David has his mistakes that brought consequences upon himself, Upon his family, his family was a mess. Sometimes his sins and mistakes brought consequences upon the entire nation. So he wasn't sort of this unachievable, perfect standard. He was human like every other king who came after him. And yet, he did secure a lot of things, a lot of earthly things for his people. He secured security itself for his people, prosperity, the respect of other nations. But that's not the only thing that made him great, but what made him go most great was his faith and character. Acts 13.22, it speaks of this, where it says, And when he had removed him, God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. This is the kind, this is how King David is characterized in the scriptures as a man who was after the very heart of God, and that's exactly what made him great. He was characterized by the zeal for the Lord, and yes, he had sins and mistakes that brought consequences upon himself, his family, and his nation, 
And yet the thing about David is that he continued to pursue the Lord. Even in his sins, he acknowledged his sins, and he repented of his sins, and he went and turned to the Lord for the forgiveness of his sins. Time and time again, that is what made him such a great king. And so faithful was he to the Lord that the Lord would even make an everlasting covenant with David, saying that your lineage will continue forever. So that even after King David is gone and other kings replace him, kings who are wicked and sinful, God at many times for a, for a long period of time would refuse to take the kingdom away because of his promise to King David. And yet as great as he was and given all that he had accomplished for his people, there's something else that made him less and excellent. Yes, he fought. Yes, he conquered. Yes, he beat Israel's enemies. Yes, he established Israel's national identity. Yes, he was instrumental in fixing the people's gaze upward, heavenward. Yes, he was instrumental in leading his people in genuine love-centered worship of God. Yet, no man lives forever. And that's exactly what made him less than excellent. As great as he was, he was just a man. He can't live forever, and he didn't live forever. And when he died, so did his kingdom. He was replaced by another king with his own vision of his own kingdom. Then after him, we see this turn in the scriptures. After the death of King David, what we see time and time again, with a few exceptions, is that these kings who come after him are kings who are no longer after the heart of the Lord. They're not characterized by this, this, this Godwardness, this love for God. And so when we compare what we see in the scriptures of all these different kings, and we read this wonderful description of this king giving unto us, what we immediately see is that none of these other kings measure up the king that is given unto us here in Isaiah chapter 9 that even when we compare King David himself, that he himself doesn't measure up to this description. In fact, when we read this passage in Isaiah, what we read here is not a human person, not a human king. There's no way that it could be. Instead, what we read here is of a divine person, a divine human king. which takes us, secondly, to a king greater than every other. The story of Christmas is a story of a king who was given unto us, a son who has been born for us, a son who comes from the lineage of David, from the very tribe of David, who will take up the mantle, who will take up that kingship and rule in David's place. Matthew 2.6, it tells us, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a king of human and divine origin who comes to us, who was born through the Virgin Mary by a miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit of God. God sought to fulfill his promise to King David to continue his lineage, and he would choose a new man after himself. 
a king who would be after the heart of God. But this king would be without sin, a king that would accomplish more than what King David ever could, a king who could direct and lead his people to worship the Father in a way that is most pleasing to the Father, in a way that people could never could before. So rather than God choosing another man amongst men, which he could never find, instead God provided for himself a new man and a new king. And that king that Isaiah describes to us is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And his gospels go on to teach us that Jesus is, in fact, God's king. And we see this through many, many different places, many different scriptures, many different examples that Jesus is, in fact, God's king. And we see this, for example, in what God gives to this son who's been given unto us as our king. In the scriptures we read that God gives unto his son his spirit without measure, John 3, 34. God gives unto our king a people, John 17, 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. God also gives unto this king power and authority to regulate life and worship in the life of his people. We see this, for example, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. He even has the authority given to him by God to pardon sin. Matthew 9, 6, for example. And God has also made this king the Lord of all. Ephesians 1, 19 to 21. What else makes this king greater than David? Just as David also sought to do the Father's will, and sometimes he failed, Jesus does the Father's will also. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And if you read through the gospel, we know that Jesus, in fact, accomplishes the work that is given to him by God perfectly. Jesus, our king, also does what pleases the Father. John 8, 29. Jesus says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus walks in this confidence of always having the presence of God with him because he's always doing what pleases the Father. And by the way, as an aside, how can we walk in this confidence of having God with us by striving to do what pleases God? So then in Christ Jesus, the Son who's been given unto us, who is our King, God has established a new covenant of grace, which then makes Jesus the mediator of covenant blessings. In times past, the kings of old, including King David, kings were considered to be mediators of God's covenant blessings. Whatever blessings that God had, he would mediate them through the king. And we see this, for example, in Psalm 72, a psalm dedicated to the reign of God's king and the blessings that comes that come through the king. In Psalm 72, verse 3, it says, Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Verse 7, In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. Verse 13, he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. 
from oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. God's king secures God's covenant blessings for God's people. The blessings of God were mediated through the king so that if the king, so the king represented the people of God and the people of God were represented in the singular figure of the king so that if the king walked in righteousness and holiness in a way that is pleasing to the father, then God would shower his blessings upon the people. But alternatively, if the king did not walk in righteousness but in wickedness, instead he would be a mediator of God's covenant curses upon the people. So then the nation's prosperity heavily depended upon the righteous walking of the king. And this is no different with God's Son and King Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes to us the mediator of God's covenant blessings. And just like the kings who came before him, just like King David himself, he will also go on to secure various different things for the life of his people, but vastly different things. Jesus, our king, does not, did not come into the world to secure our material prosperity, but instead he promised to us that he would be our sufficiency. Jesus, our king, did not come into the world to secure for us horizontal peace in this life, but instead he has secured for us and promises to us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus, our King, did not come into the world to secure for us healing from all diseases and illnesses. Instead, He promises to heal you of all your sins and secured the healing of all your sins through His blood. Jesus Christ, our King, did not come into the world to secure our permanent happiness in this life, but instead He has secured for you and He has given access to you His very own joy to help you to endure the toughest of times in life. The blessings of God are mediated to us through Christ Jesus, our King, who represents us and identifies himself with us for those who place their faith upon him. And Jesus, through his life, through his kingship, he secures for us many other blessings. He secures for us eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, adoption as sons and daughters of God. He secures for us the Comforter who is the Holy Spirit who promises to reside in the lives of those who place their faith upon Jesus Christ as King. He secures for you a place in heaven. He secured for you an eternal peace with God. He secured for you a new body in heaven, impervious to illness and sin and disease. He secured for you an eternal home, an eternal residence a place where there is no more crying or tear or anguish. The kings of old will secure these earthly treasures by warring and fighting and conquering. And Christ Jesus is no different. Jesus Christ waged his own warfare. The kings of old, they would be compared to King David, who was Israel's greatest king. When we think of Jesus Christ in comparison to King David, we see that we have in Christ Jesus a far greater king. 
He does what pleases God. He always does the Father's will, and he never sinned in his life. And through warring and fighting, he would also secure God's blessings for us, but he would secure them very differently because instead of warring and fighting and coming out victorious, instead he goes out warring and fighting in order to die. He fights against a hostility that marks our relationship with God. He waged war against our sin and our bondage to the devil by going to the cross willingly and dying on the cross for our sins to secure our freedom and forgiveness and our redemption. Colossians 2.13 tells us, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has done all these things on our behalf. But then we also know that's not the end of the story, for Christ Jesus rose again from the dead and was ascended on high to sit at the right, at the right hand of the Father, where we're also told in the Scriptures that all of his enemies are made his footstool. And that identity is incredibly important. It's important to the Scriptures, but not as important as representation. And our representation has everything to do with our identity. Because your identity is, if you're in faith, is in Christ Jesus, who's come to identify himself with his people and come to represent his people. We may have no responsibility, no ability to change our identity because in large part our identity comes from our upbringing and who we were born to. But we do have the responsibility to make the decision about who will represent us. For Jesus Christ himself came to represent his people in order to give us the choice to have him as our king. Could you imagine in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit conversing with one another, considering man who needed redemption, and Jesus Christ willingly deciding, I will go down to them and identify myself with them and come and represent them. I mean, you've probably seen movies or heard of stories where you have sort of this ragtag uh, team who can't work well together, who are rebellious, and then comes a coach and, and puts this team together and it turns them around. Right? Initially, nobody wants to be the coach of that team. But Jesus leaves his throne in heaven to come down and says, I will choose to represent them. I will choose to live amongst them. Or take, for instance, the court of law. Consider someone who has committed a heinous act, who's committed a crime, and they're guilty. And by law, they must have someone represent them. Right? And nobody wants to represent this person because he's guilty. But Jesus decides to say, I will represent them more than that, but I will actually take the punishment for their crime for their sin, 
so that they might go free. So if you are without Christ, if you have not yet to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have a decision to make today, and that is, will you choose to be represented by Christ? The Scriptures teach us that every single person without exception is represented by either one of two individuals, either by Adam, who was the first man of earth, and I would also argue from the Scriptures, was a type of king, or you can have Jesus as your king. If you are under Adam, you're still under condemnation. You're still in your sins, guilty of your sins before God. But you can but there's a choice to be made. You can choose to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can choose to have Jesus Christ represent you by submitting your life to Jesus, submitting your life to his kingship, by confessing your sins to the Lord and entrusting in his forgiveness and committing your life to following this king. And then the security, the eternal blessings that Christ has secured will be yours in Christ Jesus. Before we conclude, giving the many reasons why we should rejoice in our King, let us consider several other reasons why we should why we should worship and celebrate this great King that's been given unto us by taking a closer look at this passage in Isaiah chapter nine verses six through seven in this amazing description of this King that's been given unto us. So, third and lastly, Isaiah's description in our joy. This king that has been given unto us is described to us as our wonderful counselor. Counselors can be good or bad depending on their counsel, depending on what they have to say to you and the advice and the instructions that they give you. Right, will they steer you in the right direction or in the wrong direction? When Kayla and I were in our honeymoon, we were on, our, on a cruise ship and then we stopped at one of, the, one of the Caribbean islands, and before that we signed up for a, like an excursion or something, and we signed up to go through like this, uh, this, this trek through this, uh, this, this rainforest. And so we docked, we got to the place where we needed to get to, and we met our tour guide, and we were shocked and became incredibly fearful because we were the only ones who signed up. And we became fearful because, like, well, we don't know this guy. He's a complete stranger to us. He knows his rainforest. He could get us lost. I mean, he could kill us and take our stuff, and nobody would ever know about it because there are no other witnesses. But thankfully, God protected us, and we made it back to the ship and all safe and sound. And thankfully, he was a tour guide worthy to be trusted, or we could trust him. Scriptures describe our king as a wonderful counselor, meaning that you can trust him. And sometimes as you go through life, sometimes you wonder if you're on a perilous path, and you might be. But you have the comfort of knowing that you have a wonderful counselor who is with you, whose whose rod and staff will comfort you. That sometimes, yes, you might be led to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you have nothing to fear because Christ, your king and wonderful counselor, walks with you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And he provides instruction, he provides wisdom, he provides counsel primarily through his word. 
So go to his word. Go to his word for instruction, for guidance, for counsel, because God's word will never lead you astray. Even when times are perilous, the Lord is always there as your guide to help you to trek through the wilderness till you get to paradise. He's our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God, it says. Mighty God. He is the powerful God. He is the strong God. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Every person is after security. We all want security in some shape or form. But the reality is that there is no such thing as security. Because no matter how hard we try to secure something, it could always be lost in some way, shape, or form. But the fact that you have a king who is with you, who is called mighty God, means that you have a security that is everlasting. You have the security of having this peace with God that can never be broken. You have the security of your salvation. So that if salvation depended upon you and your works alone, you would have lost it already. But Jesus Christ, all the blessings that Christ Jesus secured through his death, burial, and resurrection, they are there, they are permanent, and could never be lost for those who walk in faith and place their faith and life upon Jesus Christ. If Christ destroyed the works of the devil, then can you not trust him to keep you secure during life's perils? If Christ defeated our sin and his judgment at the cross, then can you not trust him to provide what you most need in your, in your dire hour? If Christ conquered death through his resurrection, then can you not trust that he will also work all things, including your trials and sufferings, for your good? Your king is a wonderful counselor, and he is the mighty God. And he's also your everlasting father. John 14, 10, Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus, our King, represents the Father to us. He is described as the everlasting Father which means that he will always deal tenderly and lovingly with his children. I don't know what kind of father you had in your upbringing, but Jesus Christ as the everlasting father is the greatest father that you could ever have. That no other father will compare. That even us, even, even me, as hard as I try to work at being a good and loving father, Jesus will always be a much better father to my children and to me and to you. Yes, he's the king of the universe. He, yes, he upholds the whole world and everything surrounding it by the word of his power. Yes, he is busy and he is, yes, he is working even until now. But Jesus Christ is also like this king who's in an, at an important meeting with his advisors and counselors when suddenly in the next room he hears a tumble and he hears a young child begin to cry. And he immediately recognizes it's the voice of his child. So he immediately leaves that important meeting, goes to the other room, picks up his child, and deals tenderly and lovingly with his child 
and makes the pain go away. You should never see yourself as a distraction from Jesus' work. No. You are his chief business. It's a loving father, like any other father, loving father would be. A good father's chief business is not his work outside of his home. No, his chief business is the work inside the home with his family, with his wife, with his children. Jesus Christ is your everlasting Father who knows how to deal gently and lovingly with his children. And lastly, he is described to us as the Prince of Peace. The Scriptures promises us that one day Christ Jesus will establish his eternal peace throughout the entire world. And the reason why we can have confidence that he will do so is because he's already done the greater work, and that is securing an eternal peace between us and God. Because out of our sins, right, there was this hostility between us and God, but when Christ Jesus came into the world and died for our sins, he reconciled us to God so that our relationship with God is now marked by this peace. And so now this peace that you have with God is like the, it's like the cedarwood trees in California that grow up to 250 feet tall or even taller, and its width is over 30 feet wide. Strong, enduring, practically unable to be toppled over, so is the peace that you have with God. And it's because that you have this peace with God secured for you through Jesus Christ is that you can walk in peace towards others. So that you can be loving and forgiving towards others who may have offended you or may offend you so that you can be forgiven towards those who might come to you in recognition of their offenses towards you. Because you know that Christ has done a great work in accomplishing and securing eternal peace with God and securing forgiveness with God. It is because you have this everlasting peace with God that you can always go before the Lord in the confession of your sins and trust that God will always be a merciful and forgiving God. So he is a great king indeed. Far better than King David. No one else compares to King Christ and no one else will come after who will be much better than King Christ. He is our King, our only King. But during the holidays, we celebrate a King who's been given unto us, Jesus Christ our Lord, who through His birth, death, and resurrection secured for us the eternal blessings of God. In Christ, we have eternal peace with God. In Christ, we have a wise counselor who guides us on the path of righteousness, who strengthens us for every hurdle and deals tenderly and gently and lovingly like a shepherd does towards his sheep. So let us worship and let us rejoice in this wonderful, amazing King that's been given unto us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a king like no other. And therefore, you are worthy of glory and worship like no other. 
So Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Even in the busyness of the holiday season, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Help us to continually rejoice in this King who's been given unto us, this wonderful Counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace. Oh Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us, for identifying yourself with us, for representing us, Lord, help us to give our lives to you. Let our hearts be filled with worship, and increasingly so during this holiday season. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.